good afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 45 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm a mom woman. I'm Clarice Lockery. And I'm Hannah Flint. This week, do you like scary movies? Because Scream is back, and it's as bloody and metatextual as ever. We have a bovine tete-a-tete with Andrea Arnold's new documentary, Cow, and Tilda Swinton hears a sound that she just can't shazam in... In Aperture Pong, we're a Sethical's latest memoria. Plus, is watching a film at home really that much of a compromised experience? As the pandemic rages on, we ask whether it's time for critics and audiences to reevaluate how we talk about the cinematic experience. Really looking forward to this week's hot take. Uh, but before all of that, it's time to check in with, with the crew for the first time in two weeks. And I know that we are all watching Boba Fett. Um, yes! First thing... Wednesday. <laughs> I think that's the Mandalorian theme that you actually see. So, Clarice, I'm going to go to you first. You got the um, Baby Yoda cap on. Uh, you and, and you have a Porg, I believe, and in your hands right now. Uh, very much a Star Wars stand. What are your thoughts on the first three episodes of Boba? I think it's not as sort of immediately engaging as The Mandalorian was because the the only thing I'm finding slightly frustrating is that the whole storyline is obviously centered on this idea of who is behind, who is the secret enemy of Boba? <laughs> and like my heart and soul tells me that it's Crimson Dawn, but the way that they keep, sort of teasing it and it's just every episode is a new sort of half tease but we're not super going anywhere with it and I think the same with the the Tuscan Raider storyline slightly so I think it's a bit of a slow opening but I love all the details Max Revo oh my god the way I screamed <laughs> uh, yeah I'm loving all the details I love the new mod squad that they've introduced in the latest episode uh, so I'm yeah I'm like, like uh, cautiously like cautiously I'm into it but I'm not like su- mm. I'm supremely supremely into it yeah, I feel like Tamira Morrison is really what I'm coming for. Yes. But I do. I just think it just feels, a lot of it feels quite generic um, in the sense of they're just repurposing kind of, you know, your typical cliche narratives about anti-heroes journeys. Um, and also it just, um, I suppose the last episode that we've seen, yeah, it just, I mean, there's so much focus on Boba that I feel like we're not really getting much about the other people around him. Um, and that episode for me was like just a bit disjointed. It, it was just throwing all these different things in um, without much explanation. And so, yeah, I, I kind of feel the like the mythic quality of Boba Fett that's been built up for a character who basically was like in a holiday special. And then like now it's like, oh my God, Boba Fett. I don't know. I, I feel like in a way they've... It, it, they've kind of dampened him a little bit and I feel like he deserves a bit better than this. Um, but you know, there are bits I enjoy. I mean, when they introduce, um, like Chris Anton, I was just <laughs> like, Oh my God, I squealed at that. <laughs> that was major. Cause it's also basically, I'm like, when is Dr. Afra coming? I waited. I swear to God, if it's Maya Erskine, I have just got like 
like precog. I should be a casting director, basically, <laughs> because it's, it would be insane if that's correct. Or maybe they're just like looking at my Twitter and asking for my suggestions, and I'm not getting paid for it. Amy, <laughs> I'm I'm liking it so far, but it is very inessential in the way that the Mandalorian was not. Um, and over three episodes, we haven't really gotten to the crux of why Boba has the aims that he has and that relationship with Fennec especially, I want a lot more from that than we're getting. If you have Ming-Na Wen in your show, give us some great things to do rather than just have a be a bit play, only gets a few lines here and there. I, but want... I think that's part of it, isn't it? I think she's going to end up being something double cross or so it's either going to be a red like no. double cross or a red herring double cross because there's no there make makes no sense that you've got someone like her to kind of in a way co-lead i know it's boba fett but like she has been from the beginning as a side you know side person it's like there must be more there than than meets the eye because also in that last episode where she turned up very late convenient very late. Like, okay <laughs> well, well how did he get this far um, I, I mean, I hope it's that, but also it just feels a bit obvious if it is that. It's either mm. she is kind of double-crossing or it's a double-double-cross. <laughs> just, I'm just manifesting Kira. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> come on. It was so close. The Pike Syndicate, are you fucking kidding me? Come on. Give us Kira. You know what? I, I, I would not surprise me if she came back in. That, I think that's a feasible, feasible uh, reveal. I just don't know where else this is leading and who... And the the Huts were saying that they were terrified of somebody. And I, would it really be the Pike Syndicate? I feel like they're scared of something else. I saw, I saw this also. <laughs> I, saw this, like, I saw this other, sorry, this tweet and someone saying... Because um, I'm reviewing for IGN and they have very... <laughs> Oh, local yes. commentary. But it's also like saying this should have been like an R-rated series. Like, of course, with Boba, it's like what? when has Star Wars ever been, <laughs> ever R-rated? been R-rated, dude? Gosh. Like, I get it. I get some of the comic books. Like, it's going to be interesting if they do bring Doctor Afra in because Tripper Zero is <laughs> like a murder bot. <laughs> this whole thing, and it's quite. But they do it in such a way that it's never kind of like that like it's always off you never really see it it's always like off screen like it's always that sort of thing because it's still a star wars universe but yeah i don't know i think i think in a way we need to i think that maybe i just i think the writers writing needs to be better i I think the character it's just the writing is just not there at the moment um so john favreau maybe you should (laughs) no shade to john favreau but also like and also people talking about like this like in what I find interesting, people talking about this indigenous like storyline, and of course, Tamura Morrison is indigenous, but Boba Fett is not. So I think there's a lot of kind of like projecting, saying like, "Oh, this is his story." It's like, but there's a white dude still writing this story, so it's not as authentic. And also, once again, as I continue saying for the rest of my life, justice for the sound people. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a goddamn yeah. name. <laughs> Give them names. Yeah. <laughs> I also think like. You know, Boba needs to get a crew behind him. Like, I don't understand why he let uh, Black Crescenton go in the last episode. Like, but he's going to come back. That's what I see it as. It's, it just seems very. It's just like obviously yeah. all these things. Like, he's either going to come back because it's like, oh, do me a favor. Well, I'll come back in a nick of time to rescue you. You know, and also they have a relationship in the comic books as well. Yeah. So both high by Darth Vader. All I'm saying is that if I'm a dude on Mos Espa 
and Boba has come to be the new daimyo and is trying to take over people. And I'm looking at his, like, you know, five, six-person crew, four of which are teenagers. I'm not scared of this dude, even though he has a, you know, rocket launcher and all the rest of it. Well, that's how he gets in, though, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, But, yeah. Enough about Boba. It's time to scream with Scream. There's certain rules to surviving. Believe me, I know. They always come back. The killer is a part of something in the past. This one just feels different. You're all in danger. With such confusion, don't it make you want to scream? Make you want to scream? I have no idea what that song is. You know what that song is. You just playing with me. No. Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Scream. Iconic. I really wish everyone could see Amon's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> you must be joking. You don't know the song. Is it the one where they're in that? They're wearing like in that music video where they're wearing leather. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a different song. Oh, okay. Maybe no. I do know it. I know that. If you music don't video. know that song, there's something wrong. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I, I will say this, when it comes to like Michael Jackson, like post bad, <laughs> I don't really know much, but, uh, and also Janet Jackson, I just, I don't really know much of her songs either. I wasn't really a Janet, I mean, I know, think about us together again, because I was a little pop yeah, bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Everywhere no. I go, every yeah, smile I see. I see. Yeah. yeah, that's a bad, that's a bad <laughs> I will not listen to Michael Jackson. I will listen to Janet Jackson uh, on yeah. that. Uh, I've been told. I've been, <laughs> we've been told him on. Yeah. Damn straight. Anyway, uh, Scream. <laughs> uh, 25 years after a streak of brutal murders shocked the quiet town of Woodboro, a new killer has donned the ghost face mask and begins targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. Uh, this stars uh, OGs Neve Campbell. Courtney Cox and David Arquette, alongside new people, Melissa Barrera, Carl Garner, Mason Gooding, Mikey Madsen, Dylan Minnette, Jenna Ortega, and Jack Quaid. And this film is directed by Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillett. Uh, they are stepping into the shoes of, of course, the legendary Wes Craven, uh, the man behind all four previous screen films who sadly left us in 2015 uh so you know me being me i had not watched any screen films at all until this week until actually the day of the screening for this when i watched the classic scream and scream 4 which is the one i was told that i needed to those are the two that i was told that i needed to see before going into scream 5 so i've not seen scream 2 or scream 3 yet so in the course of this discussion no spoilers for those films, please and thank you. Um, you need but, to see Scream 2. Scream I've, to- I've is- been told that Scream 2 is great. Right. And yeah. I would also argue Scream 3 is also great. And really? Because actually- I've heard Scream 3 is awful. No, I, I, I defend Scream 3 so much. Interesting. It's so funny because you want to get like, I mean, it's all meta, isn't it? But like, it's yeah. got, has <laughs> it got Timothy Oliphant in that one? Yes, yeah. No. And it's got Wait, Parker Posey. Isn't he in No, two? no, Scream 2 is the one she goes Wait. to college. And then Scream 3 is the Hollywood one where they're making Stab and then Parker Posey's like in it and she's playing (laughs) Gail Weathers. (laughs) No, this is a spoiler, but that's just basic premise. It's so good. I love it so much. (laughs) Okay, interesting. I'll let you know my thoughts on those. But this is 
as we said, the first screen film without Wes Craven. How do you think uh, the new directors uh, did stepping into uh, those legendary shoes? Let's start with you, Hannah. Yeah, I mean, they they did Ready or Not, which was an amazing um, yeah. horror film. Uh, I, I adored that one. Uh, um, so I think, you know, I, I'm glad that they've kind of come in to take over. And yeah, I think, you know... Look, do we do we need another screen movie? No, but I think I kind of like the way that they kind of understood. You know, they were clearly directors who understood the kind of tropes of the genre, like what you might expect, and they're trying to play with you a lot, like a lot in that. Um, I liked, I really enjoyed some of the directors, especially like younger cast. What's the name? Uh, Jasmine. Um, she's in the Yellow Jacket. Yellow Jackets at the moment. She was in Leftovers, but she plays like the new the Randy the new Randy who knows all the stuff about mm. like the movie law and she's mm-hmm. so great in it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was, I think it was decent enough. You know, there's moments where I kind of, you know, get used to think, is it the jump scare? Is it going to re reveal how many times <laughs> things are open? It's like, Oh, there's nothing there. Really playing with your senses a bit. Um, I think, I th- and, and I, I, I suppose the difficulty is, it's like when you're getting at this point in a franchise, how do you make the, how do you make the kills interesting? And I would argue that, a lot of them aren't that interesting, but I think it's 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 the tease of them rather than you know like some of the iconic ones. I think like in Scream One when Rose McGowan gets killed. <laughs> uh, sorry, spoiler, but it's also been twenty five years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then also um, in Scream Two, there's a cinema. There's a there's a cinema. De- la, 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 yeah, okay, but also again, dude, it's been out years. Like it's your <laughs> fault. You can't not. You can't tell spoilers for things that have been out for so long. Okay, but I will say there's a great death scene in the cinema, which actually gets played up in a scary movie as well. Scary movie references as well. Um, so yeah, I I kind of I really enjoyed um, the kind of the take that they did to make it feel kind of modern, but also not like not just. It wasn't deferential to the, I think, to the original, but it was like there was respect there, but also trying to have their own take on it, which it kind of worked uh, for me, at least. Yeah, no, I think some of the kills were satisfyingly gory. Although, as I tweeted after the film, I have questions about the wildly varying effectiveness of stab wounds on the human body. Um, because there are certain times people get stabbed and you think, okay, that's it. They're done. And they're not done. And I had questions about that. Um, hey man, bullet wounds as well. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The people walking around, like they just haven't been shot or stabbed. And I'm like, what? I just saw you get just 10 minutes ago. Why are you still walking around? It's like, this is Scream franchise, (laughs) not Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I did have questions about that, but Clarice, um, you know, one of the, Great things about um, this franchise is the meta-ness of it. Also, between Ghostbusters Afterlife, Matrix Resurrections, and Spider-Man No Way Home, and now this, we're being very, very meta lately. Um, it's a very, uh, very interesting trend. Those things are not all on an equal basis. I'm going to say yeah, right yeah, yeah. Uh, Varying, <laughs> varying. Yes, they're varying, but they're all meta to one degree or another, and I find that interesting. Uh, but how do you feel they handled the, the meta-ness uh, with, with this film? I mean, this movie takes the piss out of Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> Someone <laughs> who did not like that film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what I... So I had seen one and two before, and but I, over the last weekend, sat down and did a full marathon. And it's really mm. interesting watching them back to back, like how 
grounded they are in the cultural trends of the time and so to me this one i loved it because it is exactly as a scream film should be in 2022 which is a movie that's taking the piss out of requels (laughs) (laughs) which is like ghostbusters afterlife jurassic world like that that sort of um having far too much reverence for the thing that came before and as you said on like what i like about this movie is that it doesn't hold that much reverence for the screen movies that came before it it's open to taking the piss out of them a little bit <laughs> which is nice and very scream-esque uh it's it's out here taking the piss out of people who didn't like the last jedi <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, i should say like fan fanboys who are still not over not liking the last jedi to be specific uh that mm, gave me life <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to scream and clap in the cinema because I found it so mm-hmm. funny and it was the last thing I expected from a scream movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah, and it also what I also really like is that it comments on the relationship between the scream franchise and what's very popular now, which is elevated horror. And there's a character who goes <laughs> on about how great the Babadook is because it's you know, it's a, a reflection on grief and motherhood and I think what's always been so great about the Scream franchises is that they they don't they sort of take the idea that all horror is a metaphor is granted, which I think is a, a, a kind of a slightly odd thing that horror does nowadays is that it's like over explaining how everything's always a metaphor. I yeah. look, I finished Midnight Mass, and uh, this is for you, Midnight Mass. <laughs> It's like every, you know, it's like over explaining how, like, do you see how this is a metaphor for this serious thing? It's yeah. Like, horror's always been a metaphor. And I like that Scream just takes that for granted, but takes one step further and really has a more direct commentary on the genre and, and the trends and what horror is. How do we relate to horror? And I think that's what this movie does very well. Yeah. The the Reddit boards. I wanna check the Reddit boards after oh, <laughs> because I need to go on the what they fucking call it, the fandom the fandom menace, the people who are like <laughs> Is that what it's called? The bad Oh Star my Wars god, fans. yeah. Someone someone referenced that me recently. I'm like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I was like I sounds like blog ones, which was very interesting. <laughs> but I wanna yeah, go yeah. on their message board and I wanna see the first one of them that sees Scream. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> the breakdown yeah. that happens afterwards. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. Uh, last thing I want to mention is, you know, you talk about the legacy sequels. This film has a mixture of the OGs and new characters, as I say. How do you feel that they managed that balance? And what did you think about uh, the performances, especially from the new people to the people who are new to the franchise, like uh, Melissa Barrera, who was, of course, uh, last seen in, in The Heights? We can say we really enjoyed it, but fundamentally there's some stuff in it that kind of just didn't work. It felt a bit like a mishmash. Like, I don't think they really got the... I mean, I think what they do with David Arquette was great, and he has the Mm. single greatest line in the film. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say it, but it was just so funny. (laughs) It's just so funny. (laughs) Sorry, I'm still laughing out. And I think he had the best kind of storyline. It felt like kind of Nev Campbell and... Courtney Cox were kind of thrown in there and they didn't really know what to do with them um, other than like, oh, they've got to be there at the end. I suppose it's, it's hard to kind of criticise it because it's also, it knows it's doing the thing exactly what it's mm-hmm. like talking about. But then it's also like, you're still doing it and you could have maybe mm-hmm. like written it a little bit better than it is. 
Um, and I, I, I did think the kind of, um, I mean, I think what we were saying as well, I think we, we were at the same, all the same screening. I was next to Clarice. I was making a lot of noise. I'm pretty sure someone in front of me told me to shut up. And I was like, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, heard, I did hear you making a lot of noise behind me. Mate, but that's I the only never... way you can watch a horror movie. Like, you have to. <laughs> I'm like Regina, what is it? Regina Hall in Scary Movie 2. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah i was like lucky i didn't get stabbed sorry spoiler <laughs> in scary movie too but anyway um honestly i asked for one thing hannah and you spoiled like two things already from scream 2 it's just like no, scary sorry. Movie. sounds like sounds like sounds like a you problem for not watching these movies <laughs> like is 10 years ago when they came out <laughs> Hello, no, my but... name is Amon Borman, and I don't watch scary stuff when I don't have to. Nice to meet you. Okay, but the statutes of limitations on, like, spoilers <laughs> and that, I'm not having it. <laughs> you can't have a discussion about Scream and not reference the Scream franchise, Amon. That's your fault. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sorry. But also watch Scream, watch all of them. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't watch Scream too. That's like it's a really because one of you said is like one of the things you're like saying in Scream is like this is a very white movie, and I was like, well, watch Scream too. Yeah, <laughs> there is yeah, one no, character. Th- I mean, I, I I get why Scream is lauded as a classic now, but my gosh, yeah, there you go, very very. Hey, white. but look, um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so uh, yeah, I, I kind of wanted a bit better, but I did really love. Dewey's kind of brought being brought back. I mean, it was nice to see Marley Shenton back as well, but that was also kind of uh, I don't know, like kind of a throwaway sort of narrative there. But I did. I think some of the new characters were great. Um, it just shows how easy you can make um, make things diverse and not make it like on the nose diverse. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like just hire diverse people and it's fine. You don't have to do a whole backstory about like how they, you know immigrating whatever's from there or like someone's you know that type of thing you people can just be exist in these spaces without making a massive thing out of it um but yeah I thought it was yeah I thought it was it was good not great but overall that kind of the the whole horrorness and screamness of it kind of worked for me uh I I just really enjoyed it I think I I just really liked the Scream franchise because it is it did break it was so new and so fresh when it first came out in in 1996 and i think it's been able to maintain that that sort of drive to it all the way up until now which i think is it's just really impressive and i think in in a landscape where <laughs> it's just funny cuz to compare this to the the halloween requel that we had in 2018 which i thought was fantastic but takes itself Although there are there are comedic elements, it also takes itself very seriously. Yeah, and it was kind of fun to have this movie come out and just take the piss out of it continually <laughs> and be like, "Who do you think you are, Halloween?" <laughs> <laughs> I liked having kind of the answer and call of those two movies sitting side by side, and I I really like both of them, and I think that's the. We're beauty. talking about Halloween, not Halloween Kills, right? Yeah, the the okay, like the, we better be, the Halloween 2018 one. <laughs> no, no, like the 2018 one yeah, where yeah, it first yeah, yeah. was yeah. like the requel with Jamie Lee Curtis coming back, and it was all about yeah. trauma. It was fantastic, mm-hmm. but I like that this movie is is that's what it's being incredibly metatextual about, and it did make me rethink a few things about it to be like, oh yeah, <laughs> it does take itself <laughs> very seriously for a Halloween movie. Yeah, but hey, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now I agree with you, Hannah, about uh, David Arquette. I think he is the standout 
uh, of the OGs. Really, really well done. Oh, I should say, also, this is a side recommendation, but it made me think of the documentary about him. Oh, God, I wish I remember what the full title was, but it's a documentary about David Arquette's, like, uh, wrestling mm. career that oh, he had. Yeah. Really? It's fantastic, and it... Um, Oh, he's so wonderful in it. And so seeing him in this movie, like, it made me think of that documentary and I got very emotional very quickly. <laughs> but yeah, big recommendation for that. Awesome. Well, on that note, it is time for our screen stream or skip recommendations on Scream 5. Really, they should have had Five Cream as the title. I don't know why that didn't Probably happen. Probably because you it's just right there, called people. it Five it was right Cream. There. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we had to avoid yeah. people saying five cream because that sounds like porn. <laughs> I mean, people wouldn't say that out loud. It would, but in, when, when you read it, it looks better. It looks absolutely better. would. <laughs> we would be saying five cream right now. Oh, gosh. God, it sounds like a 90s pop boy band. Five cream. <laughs> oh, speaking of 90s. Uh, pop bands uh if anyone wants to watch girls five ever <laughs> you should <laughs> it's amazing if you're missing that kind of like shit's creek kind of comedy vibe uh you need to watch it it's so funny it's on now girls five ever okay yeah girls oh. forever because one plus four i don't know i can't remember the lyrics but it's really funny <laughs> i watched it, binge watch it over christmas and it was great <laughs> awesome uh hannah screen stream skip five cream uh, scream, scream, <laughs> scream, scream when you scream, like me. Please. Yeah, screen. And if you feel safe doing it, this is one to go to maybe a slightly more crowded screening to see. But obviously, I understand safety concerns. But if you're doing that, go to a more crowded screening. <laughs> Agreed. And uh, yes, it's a screen for me as well. Uh, I enjoyed this one. From going, ah, to going, moo, because there's a whole lot of mooing. My <laughs> gosh, is there in cow. I'm a cow, bitch, I'm a cow. I'm not a cat, I don't say meow. I go moo. I go moo. I go moo. This is like one of my favorite songs ever made, uh, Moo by Doja Cat. Uh, I did not pay it justice, justice but um, it's a great song. And I'm, that's my only criticism of this movie. You should have had Moo by Doja Cat. Maybe she wouldn't allow it. Maybe I could get the rights to it. <laughs> So yes, this is a cow which explores the life of one dairy cow called Luma, offering an insight into her daily reality and acknowledging her great service to us. This is Angie Arnold's fifth feature and her first feature documentary shot over the course of four years on a dairy farm in the south of England. So it's interesting because we reviewed Gunda on here last year and they're sort of construction-wise quite similar documentaries sort of mostly dialogue free <laughs> portraits of farm life where the camera is in the pen with the animals watching them do their their thing uh Yvonne, i i mean 
right. Okay, you ready? Would you like to call? I feel like you already have something to say, so please, please go in. <laughs> no, like, okay, I'm going to preface this because I did not know anything about this film going in. Uh, other than the fact that it was called Calm, directed by Andrea Arnold, um, which is why, which is partially why after like 10, 15 minutes, I'm like, I messaged you guys and like, I, I don't think this film is for me because it was just, you know, a whole lot of cows, a whole lot of mooing, not, 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 not much dialogue as, as you said. And I was just like, what is going on here? Um, but as you know, I opened my mind and allowed the film to do its work on me. I did find, uh, some emotional power from it. Um, I think. Andrea Arnold, she does a really good job of making you empathize with uh, the cow and her life. And, you know, the perspective is everything uh, with this film um, because you see it all from her view and you therefore realize that while the humans who are not painted as the villains here um, are only sort of doing their job, a lot of the stuff that they are doing to these cows is very brutal. Um and there's a lot of emotional power that you get from that, uh, which all leads up to a really hard-hitting final scene. Um, so on that level, I enjoyed it. I still think that um, it didn't need to be as long as it was because it was making sort of... It made this point quite early and f- quite often, and I got what it was trying to do. Um, but especially considering how I liked it to the first 10, 50 minutes or so, I like the fact that I did get something out of it in the end. Uh, but yes, I, I did say the message to you, and you, you were like, yeah, you, you were like, well, I think Hannah was just like, I mean, what are you talking about? She didn't say what you're talking about, but it was fairly clear that's what she meant. And Clarice, you were like, it was good that you weren't born a cow or something. I can't well, remember. Because I'm like, if you don't like watching it, imagine living it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I, I gather that you enjoyed this more than I did. I did, I guess, because I, I also really loved Gundan. I loved this. I guess, and this might just be my jam, documentary-wise. I would say mm. the, the one difference I want to point out that I found really interesting is that in Gunda we had this illusion that there was no humans. It was a full animal paradise, and you weren't really that aware of what where the camera was or what the camera was doing. This is the opposite. Uh, there's moments where, like, Luma the cow will butt into the camera (laughs) (laughs) and she's looking into the camera. You're always really, really aware that there is someone holding a camera watching this cow and I think that makes you a lot more aware of your relationship as a viewer to Luma. And my favourite scene is just there's one where she's just mooing and it's like a moo monologue and you sit there going, God, I wonder what I wonder what she's telling us. Like, is she telling us, you know, this is my life story. Help me. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, and Hannah, I, I wonder for people who are big Andrea Arnold fans coming into this, I mean, it's, it's very, it's different from what she's done before, obviously, but would you also say maybe it's kind of the same? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, because if you think that, like, it's, like, unvarnished reality, I think. And, I mean, also, female lead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) I I, I think what's interesting, the comparison with Gunda, though, is, like, this can see, it's like the Instagram versus reality. Like, Gunda is this, like, kind of, like, beautiful kind of world, like, 
you know, it's just the way it's shot. It's that it kind of it kind of doesn't seem real in a way. Whereas this is like, no, this is real, and these animals are real, and they have as much as we can kind of separate have the cognitive dissonance that oh cows are so cute but also eating beef burgers or drinking milk or whatever like doing all that type of stuff there is you know animals have su- have as much of a uh, interior kind of reality as any human and i think that's really i think what i love is the respect uh, that andrea arnold affords her female lead and 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 kind of like that sense of being trapped in your circumstances as well. Like we've seen that in like fish deck and we've seen that in, um, what's it called again? What's the one above one with, uh, Shasha Lane. Oh, American honey, American honey. Yeah. So it's kind of like trying to, and I mean, she doesn't get to escape, but there are little moments of it. I think the kind of use of music as well in it is so, mm. <laughs> I mean, I think my favorite bit in it where it felt like, even though, I suppose you see Andrew Arnold as a storyteller being able to weave something, even in the most like basic way. And it's still kind of, I just like, there's a sense of humor as well to it. Like there's a scene where, you know, Luma's getting down and this song on it. I can't remember what the song was. Is it, did you say, I think you said it was Tyrant. Was it Tyrant? Oh, it's an R&B way. It's just, this is what I love. There's an R&B. And what I love about it is all her characters yeah, love R&B. Tyrant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love tyrant. it. Like, Fish Dad, she loves, she, she loves R&B. Like, I love that kind of, like, symmetry with all her films. It's like, the leads are kind of, like, into that sort of kind of music. Um, but uh, the kind of scene where, like, they're getting down and then at the minute, like, the kind of climax as fireworks, it looks up. And it's just, like, those little moments I kind of love. And then also, you know, there's... You know, you can't, I suppose you can't really escape, I mean, again, not some spoilers, but you can't escape the reality of it, and she doesn't try to hide that away, and I think, I think the kind of simplicity of that um, is just, it just feels, I don't know, it moves you and shocking and, and heartbreaking, but also such is life you know that's I, I, I suppose there's no escaping that really, and I think that's what I like about it, it's not trying to it's not trying to make you feel good, but it's also not not trying to make you feel good. Do you get what I mean? It's mm. like, I'm presenting to you this thing, and actually, if by the end of it you feel a certain way, well, what can I say? It reminded me a lot of Okja as well, uh, because I'm going to do a terrible name drop here. I interviewed Bong Joon-ho for that movie, and Classic. I remember... Sorry to do That's this, a good but... name job. We like that. <laughs> we should have like a we should have like a sound effect for you do. do name job. Do. <laughs> <laughs> I hate I hate doing it, but it's important for the point I want to make. Because he said something <laughs> that really stuck with me about Okja is that he didn't make the film to be like a pro-vegan movie, like an activist movie. He said, what's really important, it's not to convince anyone to change their dietary habits, but just to make people aware and think about what they're consuming. And that's more yeah. important than anything else. And Amon, I wondered, I mean, would you agree that this is also what Cal does? Or do you think it takes more of a, a stand on things? No, uh, I, I would agree with you and with Bong. Um she presented Luma and these cows and sort of really gave us a uh, no-holds-barred look at what her life is like. Um, and within that, you know, we can... This film was all about projection, uh, as you were saying, in terms of what is this uh, cow feeling? What is this cow saying? 
uh, when uh, she's mooing, all of this stuff. Um, and from there, we then uh, sort of look at our own lives and see if what this film has done uh, has changed or will change our behavior going forward. Bong, he's never wrong, director Bong. <laughs> never wrong in his life. So I think that comes time for us to, to wrap things up. And uh, Amon, screen, would you screen, stream, or skip Cow? I would stream it. Hannah, what about you? I'd uh, screen it. Get that full experience. <laughs> Get that moon <laughs> on a big IMAX can mask. I just say, can I just say, when I was watching it, I mean, by the way, I'm not vegan or anything. I just kind of eat what I'm like. I was like, well, at the end of it, I was like, I'm really glad I don't drink cow milk anymore. <laughs> she says the next day when she gets a double cheeseburger. <laughs> but I, 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 the little the, ways yeah, in which you can reduce... still counts. <laughs> yeah. But little ways... <laughs> but the little ways that you can reduce... I see it mm. as, like, little ways that you can reduce your intake it's really good because I think in a way to totally kind of go to a full vegan diet or whatever, like I think it's quite difficult. It's quite difficult, but if, I, I think it's kind of reducing it. So eventually I'll just have Beyond Burgers because I actually just have Beyond Burgers most of the time, but sometimes I get really hungover and I'm like, McDonald's, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I so agree with this, this idea of we should just be more aware of what's on our plate. And I think that in itself helps shape people's decisions. So uh, I love this. I would also say screen. Moo. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the movie. Moo. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we're going from a, a largely dialogue-less movie to another, like, kind of largely dialogue-less movie, but mm-hmm. does not have moos, has booms. Memoria. <laughs> it's like a rumble from the core of the earth. Probably 6,000 years old. A hole. Yes. Drilled into her head to release bad spirits. Boom, 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 boom. I want children in my room. We can spend the night together and work out what this sound is that I keep hearing. (laughs) 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 Yes, this is Memoria, uh, in which uh, I love that it's like, uh, Tilda, a Scottish woman, like Tilda, is the most un-Scottish Scottish woman there is. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps holding on to this, but there's, I remember there was a thing a while ago where, like, I think it was like Kelly McDonald. She was like, uh, all these posh people who are saying that they're Scottish, but they're actually not. And I was like, hey man, I feel like Tilda somewhat qualifies. That's a fair, a fair <laughs> criticism, but. You know, she does do stuff for Pringle. So there we go. Who's to say? (laughs) (laughs) Um, A Scottish woman, after hearing a loud bang at daybreak, begins experiencing a mysterious sensory syndrome while traversing the jungles of Colombia. I love how I say Colombia. I have to say that. I love this. We're getting so many movies from Colombia. Encanto, (laughs) Memoria, there's a double bill that you need. 
Um, <laughs> directed and co-produced by Abhichat Pong, Rhea The first feature, not set in its native Thailand, it stars, as mentioned, Tilda. Uh, also Elkin Diaz, Gian Balabar, Juan Pablo Orego, and Daniel Jimenez Cacho. So, um, I suppose then, I think this is one of the, I suppose the most arty film we've got on there. I did say, <laughs> I did say in the group chat, oh, this is a very sight and sound film. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I, can, I, I can see why. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, it's, it's interesting as well. Like, it seems to be doing pretty well. Critics' Choice, uh, even for London Critics Circle, it's been picked up quite a few places. Um, I, I suppose then, Amon, let's go to you first then. I suppose, how do you... Uh, uh, what was your... I suppose, do you know much about the director beforehand? And I suppose, if this was an introduction, how do you, how did that go? <laughs> <laughs> I did not know much about this director beforehand. Um, and as introductions go, this is very much in the film I admire for what it's trying to do, but not film that I necessarily enjoyed. Um, because I get what it's trying to do with the atmosphere and it's trying to sort of be hypnotic in that regard. Um, and I will say this, the sound design of the film is incredible. Um, there's a scene I mean, it should that, be for what the film is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a scene which takes place uh, in a sound booth, which is probably the standout scene in the entire film. And I really enjoyed uh, what the film was trying to do there. But just in general, like this film was very, very hard for me to sort of really sink into its wavelength because it requires entire reservoirs of patience that for some reason, for whatever reason, I was just not able to sort of get to this film. There, there, are, there are multiple sequences where the camera just stays still on this one shot for what feels like years. And <laughs> obviously I know it's not that long, but it felt that long. And, I will say this because I've been reading up on a little bit on it um, after watching it. Uh, and I'm not sure if uh, the studio has changed its mind today. But when uh, this film was getting sort of, you know, shut down at festivals and playing at festivals and whatnot, there's a lot of uh, articles saying that this film would not be getting any streaming or DVD release. It would only be uh, shown in cinemas. And I completely get that. Um, I, I saw it at home on my computer um, and given sort of what the film was trying to do, like, I feel like if I saw this in the cinema, it would have had a better shot at getting me hypnotized and, you know, really being able to sort of grab me wholeheartedly, full focus style. When it comes to streaming, maybe that sort of was in its det- was, was to its detriment in that regard because I just wasn't able to do it. It's very, and I, we reviewed slow movies before on this pod. This film is like almost in its own category when it comes to slowness, um, which I did not say lightly. So, yeah, very much in the admire but not enjoy camp on this one for me. Clarice, I know you're the complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose, and, and actually that's a good question because it also kind of links back to our hot take section later mm-hmm. on. But so Clarice, when, well, how did you see this? But on laptop or, or I mean, I, I, I do an HDMI cable for my laptop stuff, so I watch it on my TV rather than watch it on my little laptop screen because I try and do the best screen I can possibly do if I get... Um, I get a screener but how about you and how do how do you think that kind of affected your enjoyment or understanding of it yeah well I was meant to see it I was meant to see it at a screening and then 
life intervened. <laughs> it didn't, so I, end, I did also end up watching it at home. Um, and yeah, I, I do usually watch stuff on my TV. This one, I I got real cozy <laughs> in my bed, and I can't. I have my laptop like two inches away from my face, and my my really good quality headphones on, and I that setup worked for me really well because I just completely lost myself in it and the thing for me is that it it got me thinking on a little like you know when your brain just sets off and it's like do 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 the whole way through the film Mm. I was thinking so much about uh our relationship with things like ASMR the uh what's it called the Mm. auto sensory uh autonomous sensory meridian response which is when you hear certain sounds and there's some in this movie that just make your like fingers tingle and there's no there's no reason for it and also liminal spaces which are certain images that you'll see often of architecture uh and office spaces usually where you look at the photo and there's something really alien about it but also nostalgic and you again can't explain why i think this movie and the way that it deals with ideas of sound and image it's talking about those feelings like why do we have such totally subconscious relationships with certain with certain sounds with certain images that your like living your brain like has no explanation for you just can't you don't know why you have such a strong emotional reaction to something but you do and that's kind of i guess the story of this film is tilda swinton hears this sound and it's like she has such a strong reaction to it it's like what what is it where is it coming from and as the movie goes on um she kind of goes deeper she goes into more rural spaces into kind of deeper into the Colombian jungle and also in a way back in time and it's through that relationship with like history history and spaces and the idea that maybe a space can uh like history can be recorded onto a landscape it's so interesting and I just want to go away and think about it for like a hundred minutes more I loved it Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's a thinker. It's a thinker. Shut up, you thinker. Thinker. Sorry, that's the licorice pizza yeah. reference. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? It's so interesting. And I wonder, um, you know, what you said about putting headphones on. Having, mm. I wonder, that I, I do think I would have enjoyed this better in a cinema. I would be more kept, I, I suppose, again, like, uh, if, if, in a way, it both, I, I, I really appreciate what it was doing and everything you just, everything you basically just said, I understand, you know, I get that, you know, the kind of like looking at the hospital and then seeing this, seeing these kind of bones about where these people are from, the kind of little teases there. It's like, why has she got a hole in her head? Uh, you know, all those type of things. And, and then, uh, you know, as it grew on, but I will admittedly, as someone who loves ASMR and actually finds that, you know, even just for me to sleep, I have to like listen to certain sounds to try and like distract mm-hmm. my brain. And I felt watching this film, I think, um, you know, it's interesting what people's reactions are. I felt like so comfy that I kind of nodded off. And, I, and I'm putting that to the sounds that it was creating. And it could also be for the fact that it's a very slow film. <laughs> it takes a long while. Very to do. slow. But I, it was kind of like, it wasn't that I was asleep. It was like, I just felt so like, 
rested, like comfortable. Like I was just allowing these kind of sounds go on. So I could still hear bits. And obviously, I mean, it was difficult when they were t- talking in um, Spanish. <laughs> but I did wait. I did rewind it and see those. But like there was that kind of they, they, thing about it, how sounds and the kind of reaction it gets at you. And I wonder if I hadn't already used these kind of sort of these kind of sound as a way to kind of relax myself and quiet my mind had a different I mean it's interesting what it would have been like but um what I think is interesting though I I I wonder if you think as just a sensibility like maybe uh, I don't want to generalize about eastern filmmakers but I think there is something I think about some of like the films that I've seen where they've been quite long but also have these moments of quiet where it's minimalist like I would say this is a very minimalist film um, and I think of like, um, an elephant sitting still, which is, you know, talk about movie lengths. That's like four hours. <laughs> uh, and God, I got paid to review that one. <laughs> and then I think about burning, uh, the Korean movie with Steven Yeun and about like the kind of long moments of like quiet in that film and what you were saying about kind of like lots of buildings and stuff. And then, and even like, you know, the recent one, Drive My Car, which is a very long film, but there is that kind of, and I wonder if that's kind of, I don't know if you think that uh, we don't get, I don't think we get there as much in Western cinema. I wonder if that's, do you, do you, do you, do you respond to that? Do you think there's like legs in that uh, theory? And I suppose, is that because, is that as kind of sensibility we should uh, be more uh, adopting a bit more? Uh, I'm on. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> get to the point, no. filmmakers. <laughs> Not necessarily get to the point, but just, you know, I think more stuff needs to happen inside films. Like, I feel like part of the reason why I've had uh, some trouble here and there with, like, Cow and especially this film is that just, like, not much happens. And it just kind of lost me uh in certain respects and i feel like when i have so many distractions to hand as well if i'm watching it at home then you know and some of that is obviously on me um but uh yeah it can be tricky but then again you know i i don't want to generalize and just apply that to like all of the slow films that i watch because there have been slow films that i've watched which i've really gotten along with and i only and whose wavelength i've really gotten on uh, but unfortunately, Memoria uh, was not one of those. Films. I see. I see it as, and Chris can we say it, But I kind of see it as, I, as someone who wants to love every kind of movie out there. I see it as kind of like me trying to train myself to kind of embrace more. So even though on the surface, Memoria is not a film that I, I, you know I, I would say I quote unquote enjoyed. Uh, there are things that I liked about it and it's like okay what do I how can I appreciate this film in a way that actually it's not about me having this kind of you know uh, paint by numbers what I need what do I need and actually it's like actually what sh- it's not about what I need it's like what can I get from it do you know what I mean that's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to be in a headspace as like a critic but also yeah. just as a, a cinephile as well Clarice how do you yeah. feel about I, I will say before Clarice goes on that I'm really intrigued now that sort of Christy like said we did about headphones and watching this film with headphones and what that would add to the experience because the first time I actually watched Sound of Metal was with headphones. And obviously that film was doing some amazing things with sound design as well. It won like all the awards and last award season for that. Um, and watching it in that way really deepened my appreciation for the film. So I'm intrigued to see what that might do for this film as well. Yeah, I think it's... It- what you said was interesting about how slow cinema or largely dialogue 
well, I mean, there is dialogue in this, but it's not as frequent. <laughs> um, that style of cinema, how we as viewers engage with it, because I think it there's this very interesting line I find between where it's the cross between narrative cinema and then visual art. Because obviously you have, you know, you can go to an art gallery and there will be, you know, visual pieces that invite the viewer to come sit down. Often they have headphones. You put on the headphones, you sit down for five, ten minutes, watch it. Then you sort of lose interest. You go off and <laughs> and, and it, I find that fascinating because every time like the viewers only understanding a snippet of the the complete artwork um and then it becomes less about like what you gain from the story of it but i guess the emotions that come out of seeing a certain combination of image and sound and that you can get from one minute two minutes five minutes two hours <laughs> it's like i think with memoria you could potentially present it in an art gallery space and have people drift in and out and and just get little pieces of it i mean i think you would lose out some of it because uh where the story ends is so fantastic yeah. <laughs> like that's so cool i love that but i think part of the there's your hollywood the... ending <laughs> yeah it's quite it's like a quite conventional ending for for what this is mm. and it took 130 minutes to get there <laughs> but... but i think like i, I think as as audiences when we approach these kinds of film it's like you just have to you just have to release yourself to like the subconscious mm -hmm. and just yeah. like <laughs> and i you know i i have a very active brain so i spend a lot of movies thinking about things so like my internal monologue is chattering away throughout 90 percent of the films <laughs> that i watch so memoria was quite nice because i didn't miss anything and my brain could go chattering away mm. thinking about liminal spaces <laughs> <laughs> and then I check into the film again to, to to see okay what's the plot okay let me just subconsciously take this in again while I think about things again like I mm. so that's why I like slow cinema because my I don't miss things mm. I just want to add also I think Tilda Swinton is perfect <laughs> in this I think yeah she she's she there is something I mean you mentioned him on the the sound booth scene and it's mm. just so perfectly played and just like i love that tilda and i suppose even this film and film i suppose the point of the both the why they work really well together as collaborators it's just like their refusal their refusal to be rushed it's like i'll i'll get to it when i'll get to it i'll get to the bit when I need to get to it and everyone needs to wait for me and I I really respect that and I clearly like this was a match made in heaven for these uh, <laughs> these artists um okay so should we do um screen stream or skip uh Amon <laughs> here's what I'm gonna say I think if you are curious about this film in any way then see it on the big screen in the cinema uh, but if you are a little bit, you know, hesitant, then I'd say skip entirely. I, I feel like streaming, you know, and again, I don't know if this is going to be an option. I need to check up on that. It might not even be available. Um, I think but... to explain the, in the US, it's doing a roadshow city by city. From my understanding, that does not apply to the UK. So in the US, it may never go to streaming. 
I think in the UK it might be a different situation. Okay, that's interesting. Because we can appreciate it more. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's not I... enough places in the UK for a roadshow. Skegness. What I'm trying to say is either screen it or skip it. Um, but don't do the streaming option. I, I think that does the film a disservice. Clarice? I, yeah, I'm really sad I wasn't able to see it in a cinema and I'm hopefully maybe they might have a, a cinema showing in Brighton that I can go to. But yeah, definitely screen if you can or want to. <laughs> My recommendation would be to screen it if you can, like um, a rooftop cinema where they give you like it's outdoors but they give you headphones if they do that that would be the perfect way to watch it i think like mm, they have one in, yeah. in a few places in london and i know it's got some places across the- but if there's an opportunity to watch it in that sort of environment highly recommend that one because i wish i'd see- i kind of want to see it that way um but yeah i think screen because again i think you need to have I think I would have been, uh, appreciated far more if I'd seen it in a cinema. Uh, not mm-hmm. when I'm on my <laughs> couch with a little blanket because <laughs> it's so cold in my flat. Uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say screen as well. I will say yeah. alternative viewing circumstances I think would be excellent is if you went to like an archive or a very large library and you know they have those individual video booths. Oh yes! Yeah. Because the, I feel like the atmosphere of people shuffling around and putting books away would just, something about it I feel like would be perfect. Like a chef's tap on the shoulders, like of we're closed now. Yes! <laughs> I feel like that's, that maybe is the ideal way to watch it. I'm sure it's not the intended way, but hey... <laughs> Death of the author. Speaking of intended way. (laughs) (laughs) It is time for our... The sonic boom, it burned my finger somehow, I don't know. (laughs) No, it's it's a bit earthier. (laughs) That was a reference. Very good. I understood that reference. Um, Now, there's been a lot of discussion this week about the experience of watching films at home versus at the cinema. For critics, being provided with screeners that we can watch at home is essential if we want the landscape of criticism to be both diverse and accessible. But that discussion also extends to moviegoing in general. We're still in the middle of a pandemic and many studios are expecting people to take the risk and see their latest releases in the cinema while others are providing at-home viewing options. Which begs the question, is it time to reevaluate how we talk about the cinematic experience and the idea that the big screen is always better? Uh, Clarice, I'm going to come to you first here because you uh, went on a Twitter thread, uh, which I really enjoyed, uh, which dropped a lot of bars, a lot of <laughs> truths. Um, so I know that you have thoughts uh, on this whole discussion. Uh, where do you stand? Yeah, I guess to just reiterate my Twitter thread for people who didn't read it, I think <laughs> what I often find when people have this discussion is that they want to jump to either side of this weird constructed binary that either, you know, fuck cinemas, they're stupid, I want to watch everything at home. <laughs> or, you know, you have to see everything at the cinema, and if you don't, it's a compromise experience. And bleh. When I, I think the, the far more healthier, more productive, and more truthful discussion to have is that, you know, 
cinemas have like the ideal conditions to to watch something and there's something really magical about the cinema you know you have great sound great projection most of the time most of the time (laughs) um (laughs) you have the idea of being able to sit in a room with a bunch of strangers and just bond silently over something that's so beautiful and that's why i fell in love with cinema uh but at the same time i some of my favorite film viewing experiences have been at home (laughs) have been the example i gave the first time i ever saw i think maybe the only time i ever saw (laughs) requiem for a dream was at 3 a.m uh in my uni uh flat on on like the smallest shittiest television (laughs) i've ever owned in my (laughs) life tiny screen (laughs) and (laughs) it scared me so much that i i had nightmares for a week because i I had nightmares for weeks because I think that is the power of film that good work is gonna reach you whatever the context that you're watching it in is and I I think we have to have that that flexibility and that sort of wider acceptance of what film is when we talk about this and we can we can save cinema and we can celebrate cinema without like saying fuck you to anybody who for whatever reason pandemic related or not cannot go see things at the cinema i think that is is quite a cruel way of going around it Hmm. i mean i i think this is all based off this like washington post uh (laughs) or uh op-ed and i think we have to remember it's it's an op-ed like some guy making saying critics need to do it i mean not to get all out big Lebowski about it but it's like that's just your opinion man like I, 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 I do think I mean it's cool we have the subject and obviously you know if we're going to talk about it like I do think seeing it in cinema is the idealized experience but that takes away any variables of life that might happen whether you can afford it whether you've got childcare, we've got things going on blah 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 like so of course I think the best way to see a movie is in the cinema I don't think you're going to enjoy it any less if you see it at home we've seen plenty of things at home Again, it's not that deep. <laughs> it's not that deep. And also, like, and also the critic thing is, like, as many people have said, and we've said this for so long during the pandemic, not everyone is able to get to theatrical screenings because they're not put on in their area. And that means that it stops them from being able to contribute or do this job. You shouldn't have to live in a certain space just to be able to do something which is available everywhere. I enjoy it. If you love movies, you love movies. Whether you see it on the big screen or at home, uh, I still think you're going to love it. So... Oh, but see Memoria on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's Easter room, but there we go. That's my hot, hot, hot yeah. take. And something which has always sort of frustrated me um, is that one of the best things about doing this job for me is that post-screening discussion, which we've all been a part mm-hmm. of, you know, in many ways. I, I still remember uh, coming out of the screening for the first Avengers movie and like, 40, 50 minutes after the film, people were still outside the cinema just geeking out because it was so amazing. Um, That is a beautiful part of the film viewing experience. But when it comes to discussing films online, rather than, you know, look at it and go uh, and start discussions with people on the basis of having a discussion and learning from each other and, oh, good point, oh, good point, as you do at the end of a film screening, it's more put-downs and you're wrong and hot takes, and, you know, I'm doing this for likes and retweets and clout to put you down. And it just frustrates me that that is the way that 
online film discussions are. Obviously, it's probably not going to change at this point, but it's still frustrating. But the same people doing the same. that are the ones who were like a week before saying, my mental health and like, be you should be nice. Oh, it's yeah. like, you can't, this is like the hypocrisy of that. You can't be like saying you should treat people with respect and then you actually just like targeting, like being over, over the top with like rudeness. Like, you know, mm-hmm. ha- I mean, like not to be old Michelle Obama, but... <laughs> when they go low, they go you low, go high. We go high. <laughs> yeah. Um, in regards to this cinema versus streaming discussion, I guess that we're having, I like the streaming option. Obviously, over the last couple of years, we've been using a lot of it. But I will say that it's very rare in the day that when it comes to uh, a film that I've streamed, I remember the experience of watching or streaming that movie whereas especially when it comes to big blockbusters in cinema i remember the experience of being in that room when i was watching an avengers or spider-man or even some of the non-big blockbusters uh that have really sort of impacted me um again and for the reasons that we've already that we've already mentioned not only in this discussion but in the memorial discussion there's just less distractions you can give your full self uh, to the film and allow the film to do its work on you uh, in a big way, right? Whereas uh, when you're sort of watching it by streaming, um, there's lots of distractions available to you. You know, your phone, internet, your tabs are just like one click away. Um, so I do sort of understand it in that regard, but you also have to take into account where we are in the world and what is going on in the world because there's a pandemic right now that is killing people. I'd say if you feel safe, um, then cinema is still the best way to sort of experience a film. And uh, I would make the effort to do that um, where, wherever possible. But streaming option, I like the access that gives people, I like the fact that um, people can, people have more access to movies now than ever before. Um, and that's a good thing. And we shouldn't put that down just because it's not the way the studios or the filmmakers would have ideally intended for you to I just feel like people are forgetting that like Blockbuster was this massive chain that exists and how a lot of people watch movies for the Mm -hmm. first time and like I can remember Mm -hmm. so many film experiences because we couldn't go to cinema because again you know there were some films that might we've been too young for or like my mum and dad are working and we can get to we weren't the right age for whatever when it came out I remember seeing Sixth Sense on my like Mm -hmm. on my birthday I remember it vividly because we got the kiss Wait, wait, wait. How old yeah, were you? Yeah, like, that what was 99. So I, must like, I think I must have been like 12 or 13. I remember seeing that. We got okay. the KFC because it was next to the next to the Blockbusters. Um, <laughs> and I remember seeing that. I remember seeing Scream at, for the first time at a friend's sleepover and being so scared by it. You know, I can remember even just a couple of weeks ago watching Boiling Point and the film, the, the feeling I had for it. So in a way, like, I, I somewhat disagree with that. Like, you can't have those meaningful experiences. Obviously, that's a chance, but like, like... For many, for many, this isn't streaming. Isn't like I know we got streaming, but also like we've had home entertainment for literally decades. So to, to try and like pretend that that experience hasn't been part of it, not saying you are modernist particularly, but I'm just yeah. saying it's just you yeah. just made me think about like actually we keep talking about streaming versus screening, and it's like well we've had home rentals for a year, for like decades, and like 
that is still yeah. I, I miss that I love the ritual of getting a blockbuster movie on a Friday night <gasps> me too it was me like our family yeah. weekend <laughs> it was so lovely you browse yeah, it you're like the live yeah. browsing of the thing and we'd always pick like what a new release <laughs> and if yeah we'd always make sure we get there early because you know they'd be gone straight away if it was a new yes. release out so my dad would like yeah. go and pick us up straight after school like go get it and then we'd go on to like the older yeah. things and find an old movie that we'd never see like you know all the stuff that my parents were like oh yeah that was great you should see this one so so many films like that <laughs> that i've seen um you have you have a lot of cool slumps uh film watching memories i to clarify like it wasn't to say that the film can't work on you at all if you watch it on streaming that's not what i was saying it was more that i don't remember you know as much as i love boiling point i don't really remember the experience of watching that in the sense of i was in my room watching our computer i was you know I was in my PJs probably like that type of thing. No, but there, there's, the there's not. It's not a right or wrong, Mon. I'm just saying, like, what, from what you said, for you to for you say, I was kind of like shocked by that because um, you said that you can't remember any of your like home viewing experience, and like that is so shocking to me because I feel like. I don't know, for me, like, so much of my love of cinema has come from watching stuff at home because I wasn't old enough to watch things or I wasn't able to get to the cinema in time. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, you know, again, being a kid getting into it, like, a lot of families can't afford to do babysitters or can't, you know, do that. Like, there are so many different ways. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I remember, like, seeing Lion King and being scared. I remember seeing Twister and, like, literally, like, shitting myself. I didn't literally, <laughs> but, like... <laughs> I felt was so scared. So, like, I'm saying, like, it's just, it's in a way, what I'm saying is, like, I feel like the conversation that we're having about like streaming, I just, feel, it's kind of ignoring. I say we as in a general, not you, but like, we're ignoring that for mm. decades. Home entertainment has been a massive way for people to engage with stuff. Shawshank Redemption, like Heather's, loads of these films got this new lease of life because people enjoyed them at home and it became meaningful. So, like, yeah, that's my ad- additional thoughts. Yeah, I think like the the biggest takeaway for me is that it's it's the problem is when we start imposing our views as like some universal thing. Yes, yes. I think that's the yeah. that's the thing is everybody has certain preferences and certain places where they can focus on the film better, where they feel most comfortable, you know, where they have the best access, where they have the best means. It's 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 really going to be individual to the person and i think it it's just very odd to me that in the conversation about saving cinema our idea of how to save cinema is to try and guilt trip people into going (laughs) which is so weird Mm. to me it's like we have so many people and it's not a generational thing there's so many gen z kids who but also fundamentally the the reason why they had cinemas is because like it was just like so everyone could watch something at once it wasn't like this about the theatrical experience it was it was it was it was because people didn't have like tvs at home as well so it's like they could go to nickelodeon and like you know do things like that i i find also i suppose there's a conversation as well like as critics you know, half of things like save cinema, but isn't that like saving box office? Isn't that kind of, aren't we supposed to be like above the idea of what makes money and what doesn't? We're just supposed to be focused on that. So it's interesting how often the conversation becomes like intertwined with all these other variables. And it's like, so what are we, what are we supposed to do? I think my job is just to say whether you should go see a movie or not. It shouldn't be about, you should watch this because you need to save cinema. It should be like, well, 
I mean, let, this is evolving with the times. And I'm pretty sure we're not going to lose. <laughs> like, I feel like people talk about like we're going to lose cinema. We've been saying this for years, and I don't think we are. I mean, fingers crossed. Maybe I'm talking shit, but <laughs> well, also the history of cinema like it used to be something that working class people could go easily yes. and it wasn't going to bankrupt them every single week i think that's a big problem yeah. that we don't we don't talk about is the fact that it's not that people think the cinema is stupid <laughs> don't want to go is that it's incredibly expensive people do not have as much leisure yeah. time these days they've got yeah caretaking responsibilities travel issues then they go to the cinema the projection is bad the sound is off like there's other distractions in the cinema it's because you know it's it's because of the economic and practical realities yeah. like that's maybe where the conversation should be instead of this like ideological idea of like why are people going to the cinema yeah or, or why aren't Pretends. they going to see why aren't they going to see the cinemas that we uh, see the movies that we want them to see mm. and i do think there is a kind of like a uh, condescending attitude as well towards the type of films that people want to go see like the reason why people are going to see kind of like superhero stuff is because i think there's a sentimentality towards it there's a kind of sure thing they want to feel good and they want to see blockbusters where it actually it's sometimes it's not too deep or or feels like that and i think too i mean look it's like mass mass consumption versus like you know avant-garde versus kitsch it's this whole conversation like should we you know instead of uh patronizing audience for what what they buy tickets to because again twitter is such a little small microcosm of a world it's not representative the people are going to see spider-man no way home not all of them are like fandoms a lot of them are people that are like oh i know i'm gonna have fun with this sort of movie i've been i whether i andrew garfield was my spider-man or toby Maguire or tom holland there's a kind of legacy there as a character who's like a working class kid superheroes and stuff like that so i think that that's one of the part of the reason so i don't know maybe... sometimes they have children i know film yeah. critics don't like this idea but sometimes yeah. people have children and they want to bring their children to something <laughs> and it's not to say that watching it at home cannot cannot yield memorable experiences as you guys have so beautifully articulated um but for me the place where those experiences uh, are actually special, I guess, is when I watch it in the cinema. Um, when I watch films, in the cinema, especially blockbuster films. So, whenever, wherever possible, if audience members and critics can do that, I think that's the best way. But uh, access to something like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the other streaming services is a really good thing that people are clearly exploiting in a really cool way in this pandemic period. And that's not something to put down is something to be mm. celebrated and on that note that is it for episode 45 of the fade to black podcast we're inching ever closer to episode 50 50 can you believe it uh, but before we officially sign off we have some news we did a hotel transylvania, transylvania. competition on twitter got Trans- the full title right transformania <laughs> Hotel Transylvania colon Transformania. Uh, <laughs> we did a competition on Twitter earlier this week, and we have a winner. Uh, ladies, I need a drum roll, please. <laughs> <laughs> and the winner is Jake Laverde. Uh, <laughs> his handle is at Jake underscore Laverde. You are the first. The very first Beta Black competition winner. Congratulations. We will be in touch about details 
uh, and about where to send. Yeah, those socks, uh, Jake. Socks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very jealous. Those T-shirt. socks look. Awesome. Oh, and you can watch uh, uh, Hotel Transylvania colon Transylvania for <laughs> is it the four on the end on Prime Video now? <laughs> yeah. Indeed, you can. Indeed, you can. Uh, but thank you for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. It really does make a difference, people. And tweet us if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week. Use the hashtag PrayToBlackPod and follow us. We actually, I'm not sure we did this on the last pod that we it did a couple weeks ago. Then. But <laughs> we have a new Twitter account called Pod. Uh, so yeah, please follow us uh, because, you know... We are very lonely. We're very lonely and we need friends, please. <laughs> because of that, and also, as Jake Laverde has just demonstrated, you might get lucky in the weeks to come because we will be doing many more competitions and the like. Uh, so yes, follow us at Beta Black Pod and follow us individually. I'm at Among Woman on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Hannah Flynn on Twitter, at Hannah Inesplint on Instagram. And I'm at Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery at Instagram. Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. Mm-hmm.